Yeah. Hey, Joe, are you uh, you ready to podcast today? They got a really exciting uh, movie soundtrack I want to talk about. I mean, I guess. I've just kind of been really depressed lately. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But, I mean, are we still going to do the show? or? Yeah, I, I guess I'll do it. I mean, what do you got? I have the soundtrack to 1982's Forbidden Zone. It's uh, the first time we hear a Danny Elfman soundtrack. Okay, yeah, I guess I can get behind that. I mean, I don't have anything else to live for, so you know what? Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what have you done to me? (laughs) I'm sorry. I thought it would be fun. And partially because I haven't seen Forbidden Zone in like 10 years, and I thought, this will be cool. I have the Record Store Day vinyl. This will be a fun soundtrack, and I'm sorry. This got weird. This got real this weird. Is, this is our Halloween episode, everybody. It's Instead of like slashers and murderers and unknowable horror, it's just... The implacably weird bullshit that Libby thought was cool. I do think it's cool. I stand by this. This is my hipster fuckery over here. We've got a frog butler, a topless princess, a queen with snakes in her hair. It's great. All a for chicken this. boy who looks like he fell out of the Warriors. Yeah. It's, it's everything you ever... It's everything you didn't want in a movie, in one movie. And it's phenomenal. This is, again... Uh, I feel like we've got sort of Libby's trash pile of movies because I was the one that picked Cool World. I was the one that picked Super Mario Brothers. So I got real like trash art tastes. And I stand by them. You know, I'm trying to run a podcast here and you're not helping. <laughs> Maybe I'm helping too much. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. Cards on the table. I actually had a lot of fun with this movie. Oh, and yeah. we will get into all of the ways and reasons and things that make up this baffling baffling motion picture it really is like nothing you've ever seen nothing that has been made sort of before or since it's not it's john waters-esque but again like if basically if john waters directed cool world you'd have Uh, i was gonna i actually wrote down in my notes this is like if john waters directed peewee's playhouse yeah so it's (laughs) surreal and bizarre and the like deliberately low budget Mm-hmm. which I love this. I will get into the sets, you know, as, as we progress, but I love the, the look of it, the style it's uncomfortable. It's rock and roll. It's very, very bizarre. This is the kind of thing that streets of fire thinks it is. <laughs> yes. Oh man. I can't imagine a version of streets of fire that looks like this. Though. I actually That's... forgot we had done streets of fire until just that. I was like, Oh yeah, I guess we did do streets of fire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, though, but before we go into the Forbidden Zone, we have to take care of some business from last week's episode, or our, our last show, rather. Yes. Uh, so on our last episode, we talked about Shaun of the Dead, my absolute all-time favorite movie, and we destroyed it. Uh, but we have two polls we have to discuss. The first being, we put to our listeners, can dogs look up? <laughs> And with a, a, an astounding 71% of you said yes. I don't know why I said astounding, because you're all correct. Yeah. 7% of you have never met a dog before. <laughs> and 21% didn't understand the question. Now, for those of you who didn't understand the question, it was a theory proposed by the bartender at the Winchester. He didn't believe that dogs could look up. Yes. And Sean told us repeatedly that dogs can look up. Mm-hmm. He, it's, he, it's, a, it's a known fact. Yes. So, but can, then, have have you met a dog lately? Uh, their ability to look up is a little bit hindered. <laughs> so it's the real true answer is kind of yes and no. 
But then anyway, we actually had a yeah. second serious poll question about the soundtrack. The for real and for true soundtrack poll. So Libby, uh, how did that shake out? Uh, we ex- as we expected, uh, Queen's Don't Stop Me Now came in with 48%, but actually it was a, a pretty nice spread. Uh, White Lines, Don't Do It, came in at 20%. Kerncraft, huh. 400, and Everybody's Happy Nowadays both came in at 16%. You know, it, it was a real damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation, because if we left the Queen song off, that kind of would have been cheating. Yeah, and we did leave the Smith song off, uh, I feel like partially because Morrissey's such a twat. That we don't want to give him any more than we have to. And also because it's really only featured in the film for like a fraction of a second. Yeah. So. But also, the as I had to explain to uh, someone on Twitter, th- the better Ash song isn't even on the soundtrack. So technically, Orpheus doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Which means that's why that's why I put everybody's nowadays on that poll because that's the one I prefer. Yeah. Uh, and but, it's our uh, damn poll, so we'll put whatever we want on it. Uh, yeah, right? Right? I mean... You can always Queen reply was... with your favorite. Don't let us... Yeah, absolutely. You. If if you like uh, the the Goblin stuff from the soundtrack, hey, let us know. So we're happy to <laughs> happy to have you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's uh, skip... Let's bypass uh, the billboarding school, because there is no data for this, sound, this soundtrack, and jump straight into uh, the first question, the first order of business. Libby... What the fuck is Forbidden Zone? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> it, this is hard to explain. Now, I don't do drugs. And, Joe, I assume you don't, you know, drink battery acid or whatever the cool kids do nowadays. I'm currently drinking pumpkin beer, if that answers your question. Oh my god, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so Basic white dude, I don't know. You are. You're my... You're basic. Uh, it, it me. It me. So anyway, I'm struggling with how to explain this without sounding drunk or for it to make sense to someone who is currently sober as okay, I am. Well, then, then let me let me, I guess, ask you a different question. Instead of what is Forbidden Zone, why was the film produced and by whom? OK, well, I got this. So Forbidden Zone was a way for. Richard Elfman and his brother Danny Elfman to sort of capture the stage show that was the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Now, they had been on the gong show and they had traveled around with this sort of circus act that was just bizarre. And there was a lot of like 1940s music. It was a very, very strange combination of things. And so Richard Elfman wanted to make this film that was just all of this it was bizarre it was sort of a pure art piece less of a film and more of a showcase of various thoughts and design and unbridled creativity now i want to get something out of the way before we go any further because if you haven't seen this film yet we're just gonna warn you there's a lot of blackface (laughs) Yeah, so I like guess right off con- the top. I guess okay, so like I guess like blanket content warning. There is a lot of blackface and also a lot of rape, but the blackface we'll talk about first because it needs some situation. Yes, and it opens the film, and of course we here at the OST party do not condone blackface. It's terrible, no. and part of it in this case is not. Okay, party people. So I need to butt in here for just a minute, because at this point in the recording, Libby's computer decided it was completely allergic to even the discussion of accidental racism, and it chewed up the next uh, 60 seconds or so of audio. So uh, she was trying to read you a quote from a Dread Central article by Richard Elfman, and I will have to, I guess, recreate that here now. Uh, So here's the article. It's from 2018 from Dread Central. Richard Elfman is trying to explain himself. Uh, in regards to the blackface bits in Forbidden Zone. <clears throat> Quote. From today's perspective, if I could go back 40 years, I certainly wouldn't have included the brief blackface bits in Forbidden Zone. It was just one of hundreds of visual absurdities not at all important to the film and not worth its particular hot-button reaction. Although I have grown up in and around the African-American community, I don't claim to know exactly what it's like to stand in a black person's shoes and feel the effects of their particular oppression over the centuries. So what was I thinking? I wasn't. 
there is stream of consciousness. In my case, it was stream of diarrhea. Whatever popped into my fervid, absurdist art mind as I pasted a plot around musical numbers from my Mystic Nights of the Oingo Boingo stage show. I certainly didn't mean to offend my black friends or anyone else for that matter. I simply wanted to share crazy, absurdist art and expose new audiences to great, timeless music, Cab Calloway, Josephine Baker, etc. End quote. Yes. So it's not great, as we said. It's uh, inexcusable. It's part of the film. And so we we wanted to make sure we addressed it. So there we have it. Um, but the film starts with this heroin dealer and pimp. And while in the house, he discovers the forbidden, takes his heroin, gets out, and immediately sells it to the Hercules family. Hercules family, Ma, Pa, uh, Frenchie. And name the second Flash. Flash. Frenchie and Flash discover the Forbidden Zone, and Frenchie in particular decides she has to go into it. And our film sets off in there. Now the Forbidden by uh, King Fausto, Faustus, uh, King Fausto yeah. of the Sixth Dimension, played by Hervé Villachez, and Queen Doris, played by Susan Tyrell. And they run the Forbidden Zone. It is full of human chandeliers and frog butlers and all sorts of weird shit. And it just gets weirder <laughs> from there. Yeah, like, at, at the risk of quoting one of many problematic lines from Firefly, this is what going crazy feels like. Yeah, it's definitely, this is what I imagine drugs are like. Mm-hmm. It's kind of awesome, to be honest. It, honestly, is, it really is. Yeah, this is like when you're right in the middle, like a really, really bad part of a cold Mm-hmm. and you take Theraflu, and your dreams get all fucked up. This is, and it's, this is the colorized version. Um, It was originally in black and white. It has been re-released colorized, which makes it even more trippy. Yeah, because, like, it, it, it now looks like a film that would have been made in the 30s or 40s and then colorized, because colorizing black and white films just gives it that kind of strange, otherworldly look. Yeah. And I'm I'm including like actual, you know, Hollywood films that were were done that way and it just it it never looks right. Yeah. So but it's the effect unpleasant. is the effect is just bizarre. But there's really no way I think we can explain this film. Mm-mm. We can't walk you through it because people get their heads chopped off by the devil and they are stuffed into septic tanks and there's a cat bite. So we're actually just going to break it down by song. We're going to cover a couple of the main songs and touch on some of the other sort of lighter songs as well. Yeah, because what this really breaks down to is it's basically sort of a series of music videos strung together to be a feature film. And it is essentially the first Oingo Boingo album. So from here, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, which was like a 30-person troupe, Mm -hmm. disbanded sort of reformed as Oingo Boingo and took off to stardom throughout the 80s until Danny Elfman decided to go be a uh, a film composer. I read up a little bit about this. So the long arc of like the Oingo Boingo journey in the 80s is basically Danny Elfman's quest to get rid of all of his bandmates. Because, <laughs> like, you know... At, when they made this film, he was basically like the band leader of this huge troupe, and he was just getting sick of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so he was just trying to pare things down as much as he could until eventually, like, oh, it's just me now. Great. That's what I've always wanted. Oh, Danny Elfman. <laughs> so, I think we should get started right off the top mm-hmm. with this one. And that would be the opening number, Forbidden Zone. Let's hear a few minutes of this. This is a, a hell of a thing, <laughs> yeah. a hell of a way well, to kick off a film. Well, it's the closest thing we have to what would become Oingo Boingo later on. Mm-hmm. This is like the first thread, unlike some of the other stuff we hear, which takes a lot from 40s and 50s, sometimes just straight up uses it. This is clearly a rock song. 
And yeah. Yeah. So this this is sort of letting us know, like, hey, it's 1982. In a couple of years, we're going to form a band called Oingo Boingo, and they're going to be everywhere, and they're going to be amazing. And it's going to sound kind of like this. Yes. And also, like, this, this kind of... This is basically what all of the incidental music throughout the film sounds like, too. Not mm-hmm. as, like, propulsive as the, the theme song is, but it's all kind of like that vague, uh, it's halfway to ska, but not quite so, kind of music. Yeah. Yeah, and there's that weird, it's not, I don't think it's a theremin, but it's a theremin style. Mm-hmm. Probably it's on pretty a, close. Yeah, on a keyboard, uh, which I love. I love theremins. I think they're the neatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of part of that that. 80s fascination with like 50s kitsch yeah that this film is basically built for and we talked about that in streets of fire with the rockabilly revival Mm -hmm. of Mm the 80s and this is sort of a side piece of that uh when we look at like that 80s sci-fi we see that uh with thomas dolby yep as well so that sort of atomic age but make it pop music right yeah so now, I actually have kind of an interesting story about the song Forbidden Zone. Okay. So, a couple versions of this song exist. There's this version, which is on the soundtrack. There's also a slightly longer version that was taken, or that was recorded for Oingo Boingo's demo EP. Uh, the original demo, which was self-released, there's 130 numbered copies and if you're lucky, you find one for about 1200 bucks. And they were just handed Good out to radio Lord. stations, AR reps. Um, when they got signed to IRS, they reissued that without uh, the, the song Forbidden Zone. However, mm-hmm. I discovered this. There's uh, someone on Instagram, Oingo Boingo Collector, and they're delightful. They've got... You know, they showcase a lot of their Oingo Boingo merch and 45s and such. So I contacted them because the version that I have, and I think I must have pulled it off YouTube, is faster. It's more polished. It's a little fuller mm-hmm. in the sound. It definitely sounds like there's a whole band there instead of just Danny Elfman fucking around. And they yeah. could not tell me where that version was from. Yeah, you sent me that version to listen to, and it definitely has a different feel than like the opening theme song of this movie. Yes. It feels more more like a rock song than this version does. Exactly. And the best that Oingo Boingo Collector could tell me was that this was that version, which we'll play over the end credits, was likely a studio alternate take. From those demo sessions. Mm. But they had never heard that before. They said, um, and I quote, let me find this quote. It's incredible. Sounds studio recorded. Maybe an alternate take when either recording for the movie or the demo EP is my best guess. But that is the first time I've ever heard that version. Awesome. Find. <laughs> now, a version of this without lyrics was used for the Dilbert cartoon. Yeah, I read that. Uh, it, it baffles me because look at Scott Adams. <laughs> yeah, that guy's a fucking fascist. Also, he uh, apparently went to Hartwick College, which is in my town, but I don't believe he graduated because they have never talked about him. So, wow. Way to go, you fucking dropout. <laughs> Fuck oh, you, that's, Scott That's Adams. what you get, Scott. Yeah. Fuck off. So... Uh, if you know anything about the alternate version of Forbidden Zone, please let us know at OST Party. We'd love to know more. Danny Elfman, if you're listening, where's this version from? We would absolutely love to know. Mm-hmm. So I kind of dig the DIY charm mm-hmm. of this version, but I prefer the uh, the sort of more Oingo Boingo version. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're both good. Yeah. I like them both. All right. Where do you want to so, go from here? All right. From here, I guess. Let's see here. So we so you know, we, we promised we weren't going to do this, but I guess we're going to do this a little bit. So then we, we, we meet the Hercules family, and Frenchie is told time and time again, don't, you know, don't go to the basement. Don't, you know, that's the, the portal to the Forbidden Zone. And, of course, she goes right away. 
And then the first thing she sees when she gets to the Forbidden Zone are the Kipper kids. Yes. <laughs> we need to talk about the Kipper we kids. We do. Because, okay. So if if you're familiar with these guys at all, I guarantee you, if you've seen the Weird Al movie UHF, you've seen the Kipper mm-hmm. kids doing a very strange number in front of the in, an audience in that film. And they're basically doing that same gimmick here. What is up with these guys? I'm really baffled. They are, uh, I guess, kind of performance artists. Uh, mm-hmm. They are Martin Von Hesselberg, also known as Mr. Bette Midler. What? Really? Yeah, he's been married to Bette Midler since uh, 1984. They are the wow. father of actress Sophie Von Hesselberg. Okay, but they're cool. sort of... Uh, it's the it's sort of slapstick. It's elab- they're described as elaborate but purposely low tech installations. Such and they would do ceremonies such as the tea ceremony or the boxing ceremony. Uh, they're just weird. They're weird <laughs> performance artists. The closest possible like artist that i can think of that's even in the ballpark as the same ballpark as these guys would be the blue man group it's that same style of performance where it's just you've kind of got to know what they're doing to really understand it otherwise it's just going to look fucking weird and it looks fucking weird but also like there's a a, obviously like a comedy element to it because it's just so strange yeah and a sort of surreal clown sort of Mm -hmm. sense to it so but but okay, so they they along with I forget the the actor per, singer's name, but they they perform a number called Bim Bam Boom, which I mean they're standing in a boxing ring and they're kind of throwing their arms back and forth and and making very uh, I don't even know how to describe the sounds they're making. It's just gibberish. Yeah, mouth like, sounds. I put the subtitles. I, I put the subtitles on my TV because I couldn't tell what anybody was saying, and when they showed up, it just kept saying gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of strange mouth sounds, and um, there is something about that. I mean, I'm just going to put the UHF clip right yeah. here. Um, but then a kid wearing Mickey Mouse ears shows up, and he's supposed to be, like, mouthing a song, but apparently he was too nervous on on camera to do it, so they, like, clutch cargoed someone else's mouth onto his face. It's actually Matthew Bright's it. mouth. Matthew Bright, as uh, Tashira Baloney played Squeeze-It Henderson and Renee Henderson, oh, he okay. was an original member of the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, and then went on to become an exploitation film director. Uh, he directed uh, Freeway. Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, and most recently, Tiptoes. Yes, Tiptoes. The story of a peculiar love triangle involving two brothers, one of them Matthew McConaughey, one of them Gary Oldman playing a little person. It's it's a thing of beauty and terrible. God, yep, so that's... um, (laughs) that's... Okay, see, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't realize that he directed that stuff. Okay, and he was the the bass player in the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Ah. He did not make it to the sort of second second round of the Boingo rock, Boingo. The rock band nope. phase. Oh, From there, I mean, that's just kind of your first taste of the, the ultra weirdness of the Forbidden Zone. Because then Frenchie is, ki- is, is captured by the queen, or captured by the princess, rather, and taken to the queen. Queen, uh, queen Doris? Yes. Is that right? Yes. And the princess is topless. She just, like, walks around yeah. in a pair of granny panties. And at pearls and is topless. There's a lot of toplessness in this film. It's a lot mm -hmm. of naked male butts. It's sort of equal opportunity in the nudeness. Yeah, a a lot of it feels like exploitative, but it it, they kind of they 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 throw it all around. Like nobody gets short shrift in the exploitation. It's low key. It's just like these people are nude, and it should be noted that um, Queen Doris is played by Susan Tyrell. And at the time, she, I think, had just split with Hervé Villachez, who plays her husband, King Fausto. And I guess there was a lot of yelling on set. Oh, God, I'll bet. That's amazing. High drama. (laughs) Uh, Hervé Villachez is quite sweet in this. He's very cute. And he actually, while they're arguing, 
he has one of my favorite lines in the whole production. Mm-hmm. He's telling her that he is going to build a zombie army. Yes. And yes. she does not believe he will do this. And he says, we'll put the sound clip in. When the dead babies start marching, you'll be eating your words. I will have a whole army of zombies. A zombie mine corps. A zombie navy corps. A zombie space cadet. You're really out to lunch. Look at this world you've cooked up. And you expect to take over another universe? Ah, you dumb fuck. <laughs> Just wait until these dead babies start marching. And you'll be eating your words. Which <laughs> cracks me up. Oh, he, he wants, you know, the, the, the zombie Navy Corps and the zombie Marine Corps and the zombie space cadets. Does it sound like anybody you we, that we know? <sighs> We're not going to get zombie space cadets, Mr. President. We're not. But, hey, we told you it was a Halloween movie and we... We're delivering zombie true. armies. Real life horrors. Yes, indeed. Yeah, he seemed like a genuine dude. Like apparently he like helped pitch in and, and like build the sets and paint, you know, backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. While they were shooting. So that's like a, a, it's a real like team effort, this movie. Yeah. Almost everybody sort of kicked their paycheck back in. And I do since we since we're in the forbidden zone now, we are fucking in it. Uh I want to talk a little bit about the sets. Yes. Because they are deliberately cartoonish. And flat, you can tell that the hallways are made out of garbage bags and wrinkled paper, mm-hmm. which yeah. I love. There's a scene, actually, when they go into the basement, the like jars are drawn in chalk. <laughs> and I love that kind of thing. It's so surreal and so fascinating. That is, I, I've always, I, I said this when we did Cool World... I would love to design a set that looks like that. And I don't know shit about set design, but I just think it looks so neat. Yeah, you kind of have to admire how sort of low-tech a lot of this movie is because they were it's the most shoestring of shoestring budgets, and it shows, but they make absolutely perfect use of everything. Yeah, and it's such sparse but deliberate design. mm -hmm. And for all of its tackiness... It gives it a feel like nothing else. I mean, this isn't, you know, George Lucas using a fucking lady shick to make a midichlorian test or whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. No, this is, you know, they gave everybody some paint. And it should be noted, when you go into the Forbidden Zone, you go down through intestines in this very Monty Python-like animation, and you're pooped out out of a butt you're, you're pooped out of a butt i realized on the second watch that when you come out of the butt it also poops out like these brown pillows yeah. to look like poop but they also serve dual purposes because these actors are jumping onto the floor onto the brown pillows as like you know protection padding yes so it's perfect exactly <laughs> like it serves two purposes i love that kind of stuff so yeah i think this film is brilliant in its design and it should have won a million oscars Mm-hmm. Could have done without the blackface, but you know everything else. I mean, that's yeah one one uh, one bad move amongst a hundred good ones. I think is okay. Yes. I mean, I'm not again not excusing it. It's there. It's terrible. But when there's so much else to discuss, let's just move on. Mm-hmm. So there's a as we said, there's a lot of uh, a lot of music in here that is a lot of old time music we've got Mm -hmm. uh some of these days which originally performed by uh sophie tucker we've Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and everybody i mean everybody recorded that and we've got beautiful dreamer which is sung a couple times there's one i really want to point out we're sort of going out of order here but what does it fucking matter it's forbidden zone it does it's not going to make sense anyway so you've either watched it or you haven't. Like you really could like make your own YouTube playlist of every scene from this film and just hit random and it would be yes. exactly the same. But kind of the one of the ones that really stands out to me is the most notable of the the old music mm-hmm. in here is uh, Pico and Sepulveda. Yes. Which I think okay, Joe yeah. and I have agreed this is like our favorite song. <laughs> kind of accidentally because like it's, it's really not it's not an original song. I guess we're going under the covers here for a bit, but like. It's not an Oingo Boingo song, but it's just, it's got that kind of uh, sort of mid-century kind of feel to it. And I don't know. I don't know what it is about this song that I like, but well, I, I know I like it. Let's share the love. Let's share the love. 
You can keep Alvarado, Santa Monica, even Beverly Drive. Fine, maybe fine, but for mine, I want to feel. Oh, I've been settled down in my Lapico and Chihuahua. This is a 1947 song by Freddie Martin and his mm-hmm. orchestra, and this isn't even a cover. This is just directly it. This isn't, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was the title theme for Dr. Demento's radio show in the 70s, so it may sound oh, familiar wow. to some of our listeners. And it's just streets in L.A. They're just naming off streets in yeah. L.A., and in this scene... And this is one of those scenes, not like the rest of the movie makes sense, but Pa Hercules just like is going to work at the La Brea Tar Pit Factory, accidentally extinguishes his cigarette into highly explosive tar and is blasted into space, back through the Earth's core and into the sixth dimension. Right. And you get that that great animation where he's supposed to go through like the tubes of of the forbidden zone door and he just like blasts right through it and he stays in jail for the remainder of the film so that's really kind of it's a scene that doesn't really add Mm. or take away from the film it's just no it's just an excuse to do a weird music video for uh pico and sepulveda with the cardboard cars and And i oh it's great all for it (laughs) but the the kind of notable cover in this one is danny elfman as Satan doing mm-hmm. Cab Calloway's Minnie the Moocher, but written about so, the character Squeeze It. So let's uh let's go to a clip on that one. Let me tell you I'm so pleased to meet you. The boys and I've been expecting to greet you. As guest of honor in the house of the dead. Just relax, lay yourself down, say goodbye to your head. Hide, hide, hide. Now, in this scene, Squeeze It, who's played by Matthew Bright, is trying to save his sister, Renee. Now, I want to note something. For everything that this film does wrong, as far as just rape everywhere and blackface and copious use of the word faggot, Mm -hmm. it's actually pretty good about the trans characters because somebody calls uh, calls out Renee as being uh, Squeezit's brother and Squeezit says no, Renee's my sister. Right, he just immediately corrects them like not even thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, so yeah. he affirms that Renee is a girl and we stand a chicken legend. Absolutely we do. So, uh, <sighs> <laughs> But in this scene, so he's gone to help Renee and Frenchie. He's, Im- he's immediately knocked out by the Mystic Knights and taken to Satan. Yes. Beautiful Satan in his white tux. This is my favorite depiction of Satan. This is, yeah, this is a really great scene. <laughs> and you get to hear Danny Elfman singing. And Danny Elfman's voice is so beautiful. It is really just stunning. He's got this incredible vibrato and this wonderful ability to control and emote. And it is delicious. It's delightful to listen to. And it's also, it's also a lot of fun to watch because I, if it correct me if I'm wrong, this might be like his first appearance on film ever too. I believe it and, is. And he is I making is. absolutely perfect use of it because he is jumping around the stage and dancing around and, and mugging for the camera like a madman. Like he's never going to be on camera ever again. Yes. And he's just making the most of it. And it's beautiful. <laughs> and it's we don't hear him sing again like this because everything else. I mean, there are some beautiful Oingo Boingo songs, uh, in particular Stay from Dead Man's Party is gorgeous. Uh, just Another Day. But we don't hear him sing with the, sort of this level of, I can't even think of a word for it. It's almost operatic. We don't get to hear that again until The Nightmare Before Christmas, specifically something like Jack's Lament. Well, I think part of it is that he's really trying hard to hit those sort of Cab Calloway notes. 
mm-hmm. and he's trying to perform like that in that style yeah. and that's just not his typical range yeah I mean, it works it's good it's just that's he's he's obviously affecting a different kind of singing here which yeah. i love and it's he i just think he sounds really beautiful he also looks a lot like my friend steve major <laughs> from college and i i mentioned this on twitter i'm gonna say it again steve go as satan go as oingo boingo satan i think you'd be great at it so he's always reminded me and steve was very big in performing arts at binghamton and i really i always think of him when i see this (laughs) so um so squeeze it makes the bargain that he will get renee and frenchie he will in return he has to go kidnap the topless princess it's just one problem he leaves out himself so Renee and Frenchie are safe, but the devil takes his head. So, and then uh, sexually assaults the princess, I think we can uh, assume. Absolutely. <laughs> but also, okay, this is where we have to kind of interpret things a little bit, because uh, this is not the last we will see of Squeeze It in the film. No. Uh, because after this, Squeeze It's head sprouts chicken wings and flies around the rest of the film. <laughs> So, yes. in my mind, that makes me think that somebody upstairs took pity on Squeeze It and his noble sacrifice and decided to give his head wings. <laughs> yes. And now, this is also the second time that we've heard uh, Minnie the Moocher here on OST Party. Yes. Yeah. We also hear a version of it in The Mask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was as I was watching the scene, the thought occurred to me, what if Danny Elfman had played The Mask? Had played Stanley no. Ipkiss. Because he's got the same... He, I mean, it, at least here, he's got the same kind of rubber-faced quality that Jim Carrey has in The Mask. I bet he could do it, and he could also sing his own songs. Yes, but then we would have got The Mask, the musical, and does anybody want that? There's somebody out there who wants it. You know it in your heart. Oh, God. So, don't give, don't give any ideas. Um... Have you seen anything from the Beetlejuice musical? I've seen a couple of random photos. I think I want to say my friend Brad has gone to see a, a production of this. Okay, well, Brad is no longer your friend. <laughs> I saw a clip from it, and I have never really known pain. Mm-hmm. And now I do. It was the worst thing I'd ever... Like, it made me angry. <laughs> It made me, like, it made my husband angry. Because, like, I heard it was good, and I somehow got on, like, the Beetlejuice track. I think because, like, it went from the mass, and I was like, I should watch the Beetlejuice cartoon. And then, like, it led me to that, and I was just like, this is the worst thing in the whole world. (laughs) I mean, how could it not be, really? So, those are kind of the two standouts as far as, like, the cover versions go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so. There is kind kind of sort of a third cover um in the form of the alphabet song but it's so left field and strange that it hardly even warrants like discussing yeah i mean it's like it's a cover of the alphabet song in that they say the alphabet well no because it's it's a a a, like a bastardization of a three stooges bit oh is it yeah i did not know that which uh i guess i'll put a link to that clip in the show notes because it's just it's one of the dumbest things i think that's ever been committed to film and then they just make fun of it here so Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. So. Oh, now see now now I gotta go look that up. Damn it. Swinging the alphabet. Swinging the alphabet. Yep. Yikes. We're actually running out of songs. We're kind of running out of songs. Well, I mean, then you've got you know. There aren't a lot of songs on this. Although, if you get the soundtrack, there's a lot of instrumental pieces. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are paying attention, in 2017. The album did get a Record Store Day re-release. Good luck finding one. Only a handful were produced. Yours truly has one. It's green. It's beautiful. It was given to me by my friend Adam, who went all over Chicago to find it. So, Aww. Adam, thanks a lot. Give you a shout out there. No, I do know uh, that, that there at some point there was a CD re-release that has a lot of that other stuff on it. A lot of the incidental stuff on it. Yes. And the vinyl re-release does not have Pico and Sepulveda on it, which is a big disappointment. That's a shame. That's a, it is. That's a crime. It <laughs> is. So I'm, I'm a little pissed about that. But it does have one of my... I'd have to, have to say that actually 
this is my favorite. As much as I love Squeeze It the Moocher, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say that Witch's Egg is my favorite number in Forbidden Zone. Okay. So let's let's hear a clip. Eagle in a lot of towns. I couldn't find no man to lay me down. They were so busy. I kind of knew it, but they still couldn't nail me down. So I grew up lonesome. Lately, I don't know what it is, but I've lately been really into characters who are horrible, but also extremely vulnerable and damaged. Mm -hmm. And Queen Doris, I think, is a really good example of this. And honestly, I blame the Righteous Gemstones (laughs) because I think about Judy Gemstone all the time. And I think she's been a big influence on how I feel about Queen Doris because she, it sort of sets her up as the villain in the film because she wants to torture Frenchie, but Frenchie's kind of a bitch. Like Frenchie comes into her house, seduces her man. And of course, you know, he made those wedding vows, not her, but then she's really mean about it. She's always like sticking out her tongue at the queen and calling her ugly. And yeah, she's just kind of a, 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 she acts so childish about everything. Yeah, and which I should also I guess I should also point out that like for as, as much as this this movie features like just characters raping and humping everything in sight, like Frenchie kind of doesn't get that treatment. Like, no, Frenchie is kind of spared a lot of that. Yeah, uh, which is good. Yeah, sure. Uh, but Frenchie's the worst. She is. Yeah, and although. Her Mickey Mouse ears. A lot of the characters wear Mickey Mouse ears, which uh, brings to the question: Will Forbidden Zone be on Disney Plus? I thought about this, and the answer is no, because if you notice in the film, all of the Mickey Mouse ears are backwards to avoid copyright uh, claims. Interesting. Well, so <laughs> it's 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 like um it's like if you see a YouTube video of a music of a music video or a song and you see in the in the comments like the uh the description says uh, I claim no copyright all copyrights owned by the respective uh uh performers like that doesn't work that's not what that means but okay sure <laughs> you do you guy <laughs> so but in the song Witch's Egg mm-hmm. Queen Doris explains sort of her plight which is that her father told her that she needed to get a wife because she was too mean for a man. Which wow. is pretty awful, but also I'm like, it me. <laughs> I can kind of relate. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get it. But uh, she explains at one point that she goes off in search of a man. She's 13. And she, the line is, and I spread eagle in a lot of towns. I couldn't find no man to lay me down. Probably because you were 13. <laughs> you were a child. And so she, she's going through life sort of unfulfilled. And then she goes to uh, God and is, like, she has sex with him. And now her lover is the trade winds that take her out to sea. And which I think is a very romantic lyric. Mm-hmm. Like, and she, because she says, you know, there's only one of me. So she's proud of who she is, which I kind of respect. She's just, she knows, she knows her worth. Yeah, she is like completely self-actualized in kind of the best and worst ways. Yes. In this film. So she's a feminist icon. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of reminds me of how like, um, what's the playwright's name um, who wrote Little Shop of Horrors? What's this? Howard Ashman and Ashman. Alan Menken. Howard Ashman's yeah. the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Ashman always had that rule, like, you know, to to get the main character or to ingratiate the main character to the audience, that, that person has to sing a song about what they want at the start of the second act. So I kind of feel like that like the same is kind of true, but for the villain, like for us to really care about the villain, the villain has to explain themselves in song somewhere in the second act. That's fair. Uh I do, like I said, I like the song. It's also very like bluesy and sexy and kind of smoky mm-hmm. yeah and she just sings the hell out of it she gets a second song called queen's revenge uh where she's basically explaining that she's going to torture frenchie right in, the, in a and, very like james bond kind of setup 
Yes. And the way they're going to torture her is with an electrified dildo. Yep. They're going to shock her, which they uh, end up not getting to do, and Frenchie escapes. So. <laughs> but but that, uh, Queen's Revenge is interesting. I might, I'm going to go ahead and put a, a, a clip in here in a Great. moment, right about here. is interesting because if you kind of listen to the the cadence and the beat of the lyrics it really does sound like a danny elfman song yes like it's it like a a lot of this this reminds me a lot of songs from nightmare before christmas Mm -hmm. where like the characters are basically like seeing explaining what's going on and what they're doing and they're doing it in such a way that like they're not uh rhyming certain certain lines together and it just has that feeling of a danny elfman thing like it's just something he does i guess yeah and this film really showcases sort of both sides of Danny Elfman that we're going to get the the lyricist and composer that we'll see uh later in the night before Christmas but also the rock star Mm -hmm. yeah so we really get sort of the full Elfman plate here so I guess in in the in the grand scheme of things this film became kind of more of a uh showcase for Danny Elfman than it did Richard Elfman because this really showcases kind of what he all of what he can do in one film yeah, it it became a little bit of a uh, sort of a sampler plate, like a, like a calling card almost. Yeah, so because you do have him composing instrumental pieces mm-hmm. uh, as well as rock songs and sort of more uh, musical theater pieces, if you will. Yeah. So, uh, is there any other song you want to uh, point out? Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Really, there's there's that final number that we I guess we can talk about, which is not any. It has nothing to do with like the plot or anything. It's just a collection of all of our characters in one room, sort of enjoying basking in the triumph of uh, King Fausto and Frenchie as they kind of as they not consummate their marriage because they don't do that on screen. But uh, you know, it's like their her coronation is what it is. Yes, and they're gonna take over the world and the galaxy. The galaxy, yes. There have been promises of Forbidden Zone 2, Forbidden Galaxy. I don't think you could make a sequel to this film because it will never have that pureness Mm -hmm. that this has. It'd be like remaking The Room. There's some things you just can't remake because they come from such a weird place of artistic freedom that to try to recreate that magic... It's just not going to happen. Right. It's like when Rick Sloan remade Hobgoblins. You're just like, mm. <laughs> Like, why? Yeah, why would you do that? I feel like if they were going to make Forbidden Galaxy, they should have done it right away. When they had those creative juices kind of right there and the talent was there. Mm-hmm. And it would have looked, it would have had the same kind of look and feel, maybe a little bit better. But now, if they had done it now, it just, it would look like they were all trying too hard. Yeah, this is something that can only exist in in this moment Mm -hmm. if you will so in the weird beginning of the 80s when you could just do shit like this where like sort of kids culture kitsch and old 50s nostalgia were kind of convening and combining into really strange uh strange collections of things like it's your your b-52s and your Wee herman stuff and your tim burton and like it, it's all right here in the early 80s and i think forbidden zone is like a vortex of all of that yes it's sort of the the wonderland of it like it's you're through the looking glass mm-hmm. yeah yeah and there's a sense that this isn't commercial that it's not cynical and it's not ironic it's weirdly all of its strangeness there's not a sense that they're sneering at it. They're throwing all of this in together with a strangely pure intent for a film that has uh, two characters who will hump any butt they see mm-hmm. after being pooped out of an intestine into the forbidden zone. And I think just <laughs> on its face, just the weirdness of Flash being played by an old man in a Boy Scout 
shirt and boxer shorts with a beanie hat, a propeller beanie. It's just like, that's everything. That's the whole film right there. It's like, what the fuck is Flash? Yes. <laughs> you know? Just and like, his it's, sister's French and... And just little, like, so many just random details. Like, you know, they were just, like, throwing everything at the wall to see what stick, stuck and just having a ball doing it. And honestly, like, I keep harping on the fact that I watch this twice in a week because I hate myself. But honestly, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. And this is one of those films that you just have to kind of go for. You can't go in expecting to watch a straight film. No. You have to recognize that it's art it's surreal it's strange and you sort of just have to be there for the experience of it Mm -hmm. which is the most fun part so if you're having a halloween party put this on if there are no children at your halloween party oh god yes but this is i i'd rather watch this than the rocky horror picture show because for me the rocky horror picture show is always trying too hard to be weird Whereas this is just fucking strange. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. Susan Sarandon sucks. She sucks as a person. You know. Although, the God, there is nothing worse, and you can leave this in. There is nothing worse than that dude at Rocky Horror. Like, there's always that one dude who knows it too well. <laughs> and you're just like, really, buddy? Do you have anything else going for you? Is this it? This is your big night? Because the thing with Forbidden Zone is nobody throws toast. Nobody does shit. No. You just well, sort of, like, why would you? It. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we could come up with something you could do. But why would you? Why not just bask in the glory of its weirdness? Exactly. Because also I- we'll probably have that one guy, and his name is probably Will, and he'll show up in blackface, and nobody needs that. I know a Will who would do that, yeah. Oh, God. Right, mm, or, or rather, I knew in college a Will who would do that. We all knew a Will in college who would have done that. But from us at OST Party, please welcome Forbidden Zone into your next Halloween party. Uh, yeah, it's it's streaming for free on Amazon Prime if you want to if you have that and you want to just throw it on one night. Uh, it's also it's also very short. It's like an hour and twenty minutes, barely. It's a long hour and twenty minutes, though. I'll <laughs> warn you. I don't think either of us got through it. In like one fell swoop, I had to break it up. I watched it in two in two parts. Actually, uh, when I watched this, I w- I got up to about squeeze at the moocher, <laughs> and then I turned it off and watched Succession because <laughs> oh. somehow that was less weird. I was like, okay, this is just like people in suits in drab buildings talking. This will sort of bring it all back down. Right. Yeah. Take the edge off of the Forbidden Zone. Yeah. Because <sighs> Succession is the exact opposite of Forbidden Zone. Almost literally, yes. Like, if you had your entertainment circle, <laughs> Forbidden Zone was at one axis, and Succession is at the other. <laughs> good lord. It was a good antidote. But then uh, then I, f- I finished it up. I don't think I've ever gotten through this movie in in Go, but I do love it. I do think it's kind of a cool thing to have in your collection. Uh, just again as a piece of of artwork. I have more DVDs than any one man reasonably needs. I don't know that I would put this one in my collection, but I would love to just spring this movie on people now that I've know now that I know about it and and um I guess inoculated to its weirdness. Yeah, this was actually a uh, Christmas gift from my husband when it was oh, released nice. on DVD, the special edition that's nice. colorized. I my one complaint is I do wish that it had the black and white version as well. There is a workaround for that. You can just t- turn off the color on your TV. Yeah. Which I did but... because I'm a dork. And that is really dorky. I did it for like 10 minutes. I was like, all right, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah. It would have been nice to see sort of a restored black and white version. Mm, yeah, I could see that. So, um, but this is also was Richard Elfman's vision was to have it colorized like this, so I'm okay with it. I'm always a little reluctant to see films colorized because I think it takes something away, and we're also getting really close to Philip's vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so where they're going to like just start changing the endings of movies. Oh, God. There's a difference between old color films and colorized black and white films, and you can always mm-hmm. tell. Yeah, and actually, side note. So um, I did get the Philip's we... vision joke, by the way. 
Thank you. Um, we actually, I showed that to Ian last night because we went and saw friends do One Flew Over the Cuckoo's mm-hmm. Nest. And then I got thinking about like the Phillips version. version. So I had to like dig it up and show Ian. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get this pillowcase freaking white? <laughs> so, and he just like, because st- he doesn't like the critic. I still don't know why I married him. But uh he was just like, oh, God, we are getting there. And, like, the fact that Carrie Fisher is in the new Star Wars movie, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they like, just she's, they just use, like, old stuff that they cut from the last movie. I don't know. I know, but it sucks. She's fucking dead. Just let her be dead. I don't know. I, I don't have an opinion on that one. I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm. I think it's creepy and weird and it's too close to Philip's vision. Also, what's this? They're going to kill C-3PO? I will fucking burn their houses to the ground. It's heavily implied in that new trailer that they turned him into a bomb and they're going to blow him up. <laughs> I I will fucking riot. My feeling on the new Star Wars movie. We're, this is we're, Welcome to Star Wars chat, everybody. This is where Libby and I hate Star Wars so much and love it so much. We're going to fucking yell about it. Uh, I am ready for them to just murder all of these characters and burn the whole thing down. That will never happen, but I want it so much. Well, no, it probably will, because they don't understand these films are for fucking nine-year-olds. I mean, and you're not wrong. So what got cut out of there was about 20 minutes of Libby ranting about how much she dislikes Star Wars. <laughs> but if you, so... if you Venmo me $30, I will release it to the world. <laughs> Is that a promise or a threat? I mean... I'm I'm pretty cheap to be honest. So <laughs> I don't know. It's a threat, Libby. <laughs> All right. So that is a Forbidden Zone. It's delightful and weird and everyone should watch it even though it's really offensive. I I've always said on this show that like one of my favorite things is just like controlled chaos and this is that for like 80 straight minutes and I loved it. Yeah, this is what the mask was trying to do but mm-hmm. failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good analogy. Oh, God, <sighs> we're going to get Forbidden Zone the musical, and it's going to start Jim Carrey, and it's going to be on Broadway, isn't it? He's too fucking old for that. I don't know. Oh, God. Oh. I, uh, <laughs> barf. This is an idea. This is a podcast full of bad ideas. Welcome to Shitty Idea Factory. <laughs> our new. We su- should become Broadway <laughs> legends. <laughs> oh, my God. So, all right, so what are we doing next time? Well, next time on the show... Um, with Martin Scorsese back in the news for putting Disney and Marvel on blast, and rightly so, I thought it would be fun to remind people of the kinds of movies that they used to make before Funko Pops took over the world. Yikes. So next week on the show, we're going to be discussing uh, Martin Scorsese's 1986 film, The Color of Money. Ooh, I'm excited about this. About pool hustlers, and Tom Cruise is in it, and Warren Zevon's on the soundtrack. Libby's going to love it. I like one of those things. <laughs> But I, I like it so much that it will make up for the other two. I, I aim to please. Uh, so, yeah, go check out uh, The Color of Money and Forbidden Zone and all of that stuff. And we will see you again in two weeks. Yes. Don't forget to take the poll that will be posted shortly after this drops. Yes. And uh, we'll have some trippy gifts to go along with it. Ooh. It will be delightful. Absolutely. So, um, until next time, if you want to get at us on the internet, you can tweet at us at ost party on twitter or email things to us like questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes or soundtracks you want us to cover at you can send those to ostpartypod at gmail.com uh libby where can they find you on the interwebs you can find me on twitter at libby cudmore you can also check in we're uh, about halfway through season four of the shield on the shattered shield and we actually just had a cch pounder is uh coming on our next episode which we are so fucking stoked about what don't even know oh my god you have to ask her about godzilla (laughs) i should have uh (laughs) no actually uh my co-host drew got the honors of questioning her and uh we're really really excited so that will be november 4th okay uh, on the episode tar baby and you can also uh, find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Joe, where can they find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat. And if you want to listen to me yammer on about Christmas movies, I have a podcast called Christmas Creeps where I do just that. We just released an episode on Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Our next show is going to be on the, the original 1974 Black Christmas because we are gluttons for punishment. <laughs> and uh, coming up soon next month, Libby, you are scheduled to join us for an episode. Which episode am I doing, Joe? The Long Kiss Goodnight for Shane Black Friday. Stars your mom and our best friend, Gina Davis. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is going to be a good it's time. It's going to be great. I can't, I can't wait. So for the OST party, I am Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. <laughs> Living in the sixth dimension, things get rough.